Well, I feel good in my soul tonight. Amen. If we kept singing too much more, I think I'd have been about shouting. I was, my blessers getting blessed tonight, singing those good songs. Amen. Turn with me, if you would, to Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, First Thessalonians, chapter one or two. I'm sorry, I did that last week. I think. First Thessalonians in chapter 2. You don't want me going in reverse. Sometimes I, I worry that I'm going too slow through this. You think I am in reverse. <laughs> First Thessalonians chapter 2. I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And uh, I believe we'll pick up our reading at verse 13. I believe that's where we left off. For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when ye received the word of God which ye heard of us, received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. For ye, brethren, became followers of the churches of God which are in Judea, are in Christ Jesus. For ye... Also have suffered the things of your own countrymen, even as they have of the Jews, who both killed the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. And they please not God and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles, that they might be saved, to fill up their sins alway, for the wrath is come upon them to the uttermost. But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time, in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. <clears throat> Wherefore, we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of our rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. Father, we thank you so much for the words of Paul. We thank you for this letter to the Thessalonians. We ask that you'd help us tonight to rightly divide the word of truth. May we say what ought to be said and help us to be careful not to say anything that would that would uh, hinder or discourage or defeat. We ask these things in your precious name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, I know that, that some of you have been, are a long ways away from your time as a teenager. But I'd like to, to tell you something that is important. And uh, as I have a teenager and one that is just about to become a teenager... And so this might take some of you older ones by surprise, but if you can think back and you can remember, and it is this simple thing, growing up is hard. Growing up is hard. You go from, from being a, a nobody in kindergarten and you get to be the, the big dog, you know, in elementary, you're in sixth grade, or if you're at the Bible school or fifth grade, depending on your school and you know, you go, then they move you to middle school, and now you're, you're nobody again. 
And you get to the top of middle school, if you've got a middle school, and, and you go to high school, and now you're in the bottom again. And you get to the top of, of uh, high school, and you graduate, and then you either go to college, and guess what? You're on the bottom again. Or you go and you get a job, and guess what? You're the new guy, and so you're at the bottom again. I don't know of a time, in our, especially from, from that fifth, sixth grade period to, to the college age or so, that you go so many times that you, you work your way up only to have to be start all over again. And you've got so many things that are working against you and so many things that are working for you that you think are working against you. And, and uh, there's just so many changes. There's just so many things going on. And it just, you know, I, there's people that say, oh, to be a kid again. But very few people do you hear say, oh, to be a teenager again. Just not an excite. I mean, it is exciting. I guess it is, but but I don't know if it's all good excitement. Just a really hard to grow up. We call them growing pains, don't we? You've heard that expression, and I guess that there, there's uh, when so, someone's growing fast, they can experience some growing pains, some physical pains. But oftentimes, when we talk about growing pains, we're talking about those setbacks as you're trying to learn. You know, I've often said it's unfair for our young people to have to make the most important decisions of their lives when they are the least intelligent, the least wise of their entire life. They don't realize that they think they've got things figured out. But they are picking the person that they're going to marry when they have no clue anything about how long a marriage is. They don't, they don't understand 50 years, 60 years, 70 years of marriage. They've only been around 17, 18 years. They don't understand that kind of a timeline. They don't understand that, that that pretty guy or that pretty girl, whatever the case might be, they don't understand that, that those looks will, will fade and those big muscles on that handsome guy are going to turn to a big old gut. <laughs> Just a, just a little hint, the bigger the muscles, the bigger the gut. That's why mine's a plenty. <laughs> they don't understand that, that you know, that, that guy with that, you know, he's tall, dark, and handsome. He's got that nice head of, ha ha uh, head of hair. He's going to be as bald as a cue ball someday. I'm not looking over in this direction at all. <laughs> we don't... We just don't understand that when we're young. We think it's all about excitement and all about oh, uh, passion and, and our feelings. And, and, and we don't know. Picking a job. I mean, it used to be you just basically did what your parents did. I mean, you just kind of followed along. If your parents were farmers, you, you were to inherit the farm. You were going to work the farm. And that's basically your life. Your life was basically chosen for you. Now our young people have so many options, and, and now they're telling us that the, that the millennials today will probably change careers, not jobs, careers, three times. That's amazing. How do you prepare for that? And how do you choose a career when you don't even know what you are excited about? How do you even do that? I think about how fortunate I, that I had it that God called me to preach. 
I knew what I was doing. Now God has led me in some, some crazy places. Oh, no, 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 I'm talking about Altamont. <laughs> I, no, I'm not talking about Altamont. I'm talking about, about how God has, God has led me to pastor, but then he led me to go on and seek a, a, a master's degree in marriage and family therapy. That didn't seem, that it, that's not the route that most preachers take. In fact, I had people that were critical of me and said, God doesn't want you to do that. Well, you better have a conversation with God because God's conversation with me was that I was supposed to do that. And then for me to go on and, uh, now and, and continue my education, that's not what people in the holiness movement do that are in the pastorate. If you're already teaching a Bible college, then maybe. But just guys that are in the pastorate, they don't do that. How do you, how do you know what you're going to do? How do you prepare for that? How do you plan for that? We ask young people to, to take on a lot of responsibility that they have no understanding and no ability to really even take on the responsibility for. And I think sometimes we, the older ones among us, we can be hard on young people who switch their majors two or three times, trying to find out what the right fit is. Growing up is hard to do, and I think it's getting harder and harder and harder. Or saying in, in Sunday school class, there's never been more voices for our, our young people to have to listen to and to hear. There was a time when mom and dad, when the pastor could say, because I said so, and that was the only voice, and you just did what you were told because that was the only voice to hear. But now there's a lot of voices. There's the different ones that have different opinions, and I've had it where young people have met me at the back of the church and said, you know, I looked it up on Google what you said, and that's not what Google says. Well, I wasn't looking Google, I was looking at God's Word, but okay. <laughs> Sometimes they've, what they've had to say was, was helpful. I'm not saying it wasn't. But there's other voices that they can even, while I'm preaching, they can be typing it into and checking out to see if other voices agree with this voice. We've never had that before. Young people have it perhaps the hardest that they've ever had it. More choices, more voices and yet we expect them to grow up just as fast. I think we can say, we often say to, about young people, they're not as mature as they used to be. And maybe that's true, but I think that part of the reason they're not as mature is because a few generations ago, they just didn't have any choices, and so they spent all their time maturing just because they didn't have, and where our young people now are just having to spend all their time making choices and not maturing. That's an opinion. But I think there's probably some validity to it. But what I want to talk to us tonight and what, I, what Paul was talking about to the church at Thessalonica was some spiritual growing pains. And you know, I think sometimes it's easier for us to have grace for people who are growing physically than it is for us to have grace for people who are growing spiritually. You know, we can see a young person that, that you know, kind of burns out in the, in the church parking lot and, and kicks up the stones and, you know, we, yeah, he'll grow up. You know, maybe we'll say a word to him, you know, you're kicking up stones, you don't want to, put, you don't want to scratch anybody's paint, you don't want to have a situation. But we'll, we'll, cut, we'll forgive that. 
we'll, we'll, we'll overlook some, you know, that, that guy who's, who seems to be interested in that girl that is not a good fit. And, and we'll, you know, we might say something, you know, uh, I think God has a better plan for you. But we'll be patient. But when it comes to people who are growing spiritually, we can be very impatient. I know a lady who was backslidden today. She, was, she had gotten saved at camp meeting. And they had gotten back at the home church, and it, I believe it was the first or Sunday after camp meeting at, back at the home church. And I don't know all the details, but preacher preached a message, and, and she felt like she wanted to go to the altar and just rededicate herself to the Lord. Just let the Lord know that what she settled at camp, she wanted to keep settled it still. And so she went to the altar and, and just tried to, to rededicate herself to the Lord. She, as she's leaving the church, a lady walked up to her and said, I'm so glad to see you go to the altar. I saw that you backslid since camp, seeing as you're wearing sandals. What was Jesus wearing? I mean, listen, if we could prove in the scriptures that, going, that putting on sandals would, would, would cost you your salvation, it's still not the time to bring it up. We encourage kids. We encourage young people when they're, they shoot a basketball and they miss, we, we t- encourage them to shoot it again. We encourage them to that if they don't pass the test, to uh, keep studying and keep working harder and, and that they can learn it. But when it comes to spiritual things, we've got our little things and we can be so ungracious. Folks, growing up spiritually can be hard. It can be hard. And whether you agree or disagree with the sandal thing, I don't think that's, I, that's really not the point tonight. The point is, is that we have got to be just as encouraging to somebody who is growing spiritually as someone who's growing physically. Amen. We should be in their corner. We should be, we should, uh, we should be their cheerleaders. And if we got to get you all pom-poms to remember that, that's what we'll do. But we're not wearing any of those dumb skirts. <laughs> Our job is to encourage believers as they're coming up. And Paul's writing this letter, and he's reminding the church of how that they've grown. And, and I'd like to just, for a few moments, and boy, <laughs> I don't think I'm going to get through this. This might be a two-parter. On how we can grow, and how the church at Thessalonica grew. And the first thing that, that Paul talks about that is necessary for us to grow spiritually is the Word of God. The Word of God. We can go through Psalms 119 and it goes and it goes into great detail about how the Word of God is such a blessing to the believer. It's our guide. It's our, it's our compass, folks. It helps us to know whether something's right or whether it's wrong. It helps us to know whether we should, uh, we should engage in something or dis, uh, disallow it. It gives us direction. It's our light. 
I appreciate Jesus is the light of the world. He, he is. But the Bible's also our light. Solomon said it was a light to our feet. Oh, that we would, that we would treasure the Word of God. We talked about it again in Sunday school, about how there was a time that the Catholic Church chained the Bible to the pulpit. It was written in a language that, we, that the common people didn't know and couldn't read. And now we have more Bibles and more Bible apps and more abilities to get at God's Word. And there there's, seems to be less and less love that there's ever been for God's Word. I read a story this week about a, a blind girl who was given a Gospel of Mark in raised letters. And she would, she would take with her fingers and she, she read over and over that little gospel of Mark and raised letters until she had calluses on her fingers. She couldn't feel the letters through them. And so she took a knife and she cut the calluses off her fingers so that she could feel them, but it made the situation worse. She couldn't even feel, she couldn't feel them after cutting off those calluses. And she was weeping. She took that gospel of Mark, that's all she had was the gospel of Mark, and she, she says, farewell, the word of my dear Heavenly Father. And she kissed her gospel of Mark, and she felt the letters on her lips. And all night long, she ran her lips over the letters of that gospel of Mark so that she could read it again and again and again. And I think, oh, oh, how precious God's word was to her. Because it was so rare, she didn't have access to the whole, all of the Bible. She only had, because of her blindness, could only have this, this gospel of Mark. And she loved God's word so much. She was willing to cut off the calluses of her fingers. And how careless are we so oftentimes with the word of God. God's word is... God word, God's word... It's, it's so important to our, our growth as spiritually as it helps us as we navigate. You know, I appreciate, I appreciate those in my life when I didn't know which way to go and I would ask them and they would, and they would show me the Word of God. They didn't just tell me how I ought to be, but they would show me the Word of God. And, it's, and they'd say to me, now how, what do you think? This is what God's Word says. Now, what do, you, what do you think you ought to do? There's a lot of wisdom in that approach. A lot of wisdom. There was a board meeting, thankfully not here at Altamont, but a board meeting that there was, there was an argument that was, that was being had over the reading of the minutes of all things. Apparently, some of the people remembered the the minutes have been going, the board meeting, the last board meeting going a certain way, and others remembered it going in a different direction. And so they were having a big fuss over the reading of the minutes. They couldn't get them to be such that they could agree on, on passing the minutes. Usually that's a formality. Maybe a date was written in wrong or just a little something needs fixed. Usually isn't is a formality, but in this board meeting, it it had gotten to be pretty heated. 
And the pastor, he, he wasn't sure what to do, and so he decided that he would read some scripture. And so he opened up his Bible, and he began to read some scripture. And he finished reading, and one of the elderly gentlemen stood up, and he said, I move that the Bible stand as read. <laughs> Folks, we're in a time when people want to change God's word to, to meet what it wants it to mean. I just read, I don't know if it was this week or last week, I believe it was this week, but different uh, feminists from, the, from Europe have gotten together and they have rewritten the Bible from a feminist perspective. Wow. Wouldn't that be exciting? I mean, you know, I... Jamie, I think, I think you ought to rewrite the Bible to be in from a hunter's perspective. Isn't that nice? I mean, and, and uh, you know, uh, I don't know who loves to shop, but maybe some of these shoppers would like to rewrite it from a shopper's perspective. I mean, are we really getting to that point where if the Bible doesn't want, say what we want it to say, we're just going to rewrite it from our perspective? Let the Bible stand as read. Folks, the, you know what? If we're going to change the Bible to, to get it to mean what we want it to mean and get it to say what we want it to say, what's the point of having a Bible? Why even bother with being a Christian if you don't want to use it as your, as your compass for life, if you don't want to use it to get you home to heaven, if you just want it to say what you want it to say so you can feel good about yourself, why even bother? Just do what you want to do anyways. But do you know what the problem is? Is they don't want, they just don't want to change the Bible because they want to feel good about themselves. They want you to approve. And they want me to approve. And folks, we don't have to change God's word. His word stands. And if we want to grow spiritually, we're going to have to spend time in God's word. It's got to be the most precious book to us. And we're going to have to spend some time there. And you know, I, was tell, uh, I said growing up is hard to do. It, when you want to grow spiritually, you've got to do it intentionally. You won't grow spiritually by osmosis. You, you, won't, you know, I wish that you could, but you can't get holy by sitting close to somebody who's holy. It just doesn't work that way. I mean, I can hang out as close to the holiest people in the world, but it's not going to rub off on me. Going to church isn't going to make, make you grow spiritually. Now, it can, but you've got to intentionally apply what you hear. God's Word is the first and key and most important part of any spiritual growth program. If you want to grow spiritually and you don't include God's word, you're off to a bad start. And I just believe with all my heart that this church, that there's not a single one of you here tonight that would say, in 2019, we're on the cusp of it, if you can believe it, that you want to be the same place next year as you are right now. 
I'll just be honest with you folks. I'm not interested in being spiritually on December the 2nd, 2019, where I am December the 2nd, 2018. There is, there is spiritual growth that, that I want to see happen this year. I, I want to have it to happen. And I believe with all my heart, I, 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 can, I can say with, with confidence that, that, that God has helped me to grow in this past year. I, it seems like this has been a, such a, a time of spiritual growth for me. And I've just been just thanking God so much as I've been looking, past, looking back at the last year of how God has moved me up. And I'm saying, oh, that I want to I do that again next year. And maybe get a double portion if it's possible. But it's going to have to be done on, on purpose and it's going to have to start with God's word. And it might take some effort and it might take some saying no's to some good things and it might, it might mean some hard, hard decisions. But, but folks, if we want to grow and we want to grow the right way spiritually, we're going to have to start with God's word. Now the second thing that Paul talks about and I'll quit after the second one. There's, there's three more after that, so I'll quit after this one. If we want to grow spiritually, we're going to have to withstand the enemies of God. Paul uses a word here that isn't used, I don't think it's used anywhere else in, in Scripture. It's translated countrymen. The word there means those closest to you. And those people resisted and fought and did everything they could to hinder them spiritually. Now, wait a minute. I said this was about spiritual growth, and, I, and now I just said that, God, that, that the, what, they, they're doing everything they can to keep you from growing spiritually? What? What? We need, in our times of growth, we will, our decisions to, to, to grow spiritually is going to take a decision about what we're going to do about those that are opposed to us going this way. And they may be our closest family and friends, but especially I think of, of those that are, are new to the faith and they've got friends at school or they've got family members that say they don't understand why we're going this way. But you know what? You can be going this way a long time and people still wonder why we just won't modernize. Why our standards are still from the 1950s. They, they can, they, they, they'll openly question why we're doing things. You, you know we don't have to do it that way anymore. Our preacher says we don't have to do it that way anymore. <laughs> you know, it's amazing. They don't want to listen to the preacher when he says no, but if he says yes, then he's a good resource. If you notice, that's exactly how it often is. People won't... I remember I was counseling a young man. He was going through some things. And we'd, uh, we'd count, I'd counsel with him. And he'd leave that, that place. I found out later that he would go around and he would keep, he'd call different people that he had confidence in and he would go around calling different ones and telling them what I said until he found somebody who agreed with him 
so that he wouldn't have to do what I was trying to recommend for him to do. I'm going to tell you what happened to that, that young man. He didn't get any help. He didn't get any help. It isn't because I'm a great counselor. It's not because I'm all wise. I'm certainly hardly that. The problem was is that he kept listening to voices that agreed with his own, and the problem was his own voices that had already got him into the mess he was in. You know, if, if what you did isn't working, it might be time to try something else. I know that's a novel concept. But you know, I was, I was reading in one of my textbooks, and they said that, they call it the, the serenity trap, and it's this. People spend more effort, more energy, more resources in coping with their problems than they will in dealing with their problems. We would rather cope than solve. We would rather keep, you know, we've, we've got this awful problem, but, but you know, so long as we, you know, we, can, we can manage it, we can manage it. Why don't you just get rid of the problem? Well, that would cost money, and you know it's risky, and you know people might might be upset. We might lose we might lose people in the church. We uh, well, oh we might we might we might well so we just keep coping. You don't grow as long as you're coping. It's just the way it is. So long as you're coping with, with that spiritual weight that keeps dragging you down spiritually, you keep trying to work around it and you keep coping with it, you're going to struggle with it. It's time to take it off and deal with it. As long as you keep coping with that bad marriage of yours, no, it's not time to throw the marriage away. It's time to fix the marriage. We keep coping, keep trying to coddle it together. You know, there comes a time when a car just needs to be replaced. Nickels and dimes you to death. And I'll tell you what, I've I've, that expression has got to come from the way old timers because I've never known it to nickel and dime me to death. It's usually $500, $1,000 a death. There just comes a point when the car isn't worth fixing anymore. Just take it out back, shoot it, and get a new one. <laughs> That's a horse reference in case you youngins don't understand. <laughs> Trying to help I preach to some of you young folks. We're going to preach to the old folks a little bit. <laughs> Try to keep it balanced. There comes a point when you just can't cope anymore with the old car. It's got too many things wrong with it. I remember we were doing that. We were, we were holding it together with duct tape, I think. The old car. Had about 200,000 miles on it. And when you know, that old transmission decided she's giving out on us. Took it in and shop. And my mechanic, who'd done, who'd, who had always been a good mechanic to us, always had been good to us, he looked at it, he says... The train is too far gone. He says, I can't fix it. He says, it's time to get a different vehicle. I'm thankful that he was honest with me about that. 
probably when he would have told me how much a new transmission would have cost, I probably would have agreed. Folks, there comes a time when it's, it's time for us to stop coping and it's start, time for us to start solving the problem. You know, we get into a bad habit of talking about our problems. And we do a lot of talk and no solving. And I'll tell you, there's few things that drive me more crazy than go to assembly and people just talk and talk and talk and talk and talk about the problem. And at the end of the day, we don't even get to vote on a solution to the problem. When that happens, I'd like to bust all their heads together, just clank them together. What's the sense in talking about it if we're not going to solve it? We've got a board that doesn't do that. Hallelujah. God allows for the tares to remain because by it we grow. We grow because our will becomes resolved one way or the other. We'll either resolve to go the way of the world because we just can't leave our friends behind or we will resolve that we're going to go through with God no matter what it costs us. And every single new convert comes to that place where the, those that are enemies of God and enemies of their soul but call themselves friends, call themselves countrymen, call themselves close to them. And they'll say, choose between us or your God. And folks, that's a growth moment. And if you choose God, it's going to steal your resolve. You're going to settle the question and folks, that's when you, it would really, I believe that salvation take, gets a good root down. Is when, you've, when it's been hard, when the, when the enemies of your soul who call themselves friends say, choose us or choose God, and you say, I choose God, your root gets in good and deep. I'm not saying you weren't saved until then, but I'm saying salvation starts meaning something at that point. I've seen a lot of people get up from an altar with tears down their faces. I've seen them shout. I've seen them run. I've seen them jump up and down on the altar itself, praising God for victory, and see them go home and they can't live it because their spouse or their parents or, or their school friends or, or, their, uh, or their friends at work don't approve and they can't live it. They lose it that same week. It's not in the shout and it's not in the tears. It's in the resolve that no matter who's opposed, who's against me, I'm still going through with God. And that's where growth happens. Amen. Amen. And folks, we that are on their side spiritually, we've got to be their biggest supporters in that time. I want to ask you a question. How'd you like to be without any friends? I wouldn't. I wouldn't. If I got saved, brand new saved, and I came to this church, I'm brand new saved, and I, and I lost all my friends of the world, and you all didn't want to be my friend because I was too green as a Christian. I didn't know enough about serving God. All my standards were wrong. I was saying the wrong things. I'd stand up and testify and use a swear word, and you all would go, <gasps> and I didn't feel like you were my friend. You know what would happen? I'd probably leave here and go back to my friends that used to accept me. 
And that's what they do. I'm not saying it's our fault they make a bad choice and go back not serve God. But folks, I don't want I don't want there to be one percentage of responsibility on my shoulders. Because I couldn't befriend them because they weren't quite holy enough. Because they didn't have the right lingo down. Because they didn't look just right. Because they wore sandals on the first Sunday they got after they got saved. Heaven help us. We've got a long, we've got to help people to understand this is a journey and you don't make it from where uh, a new, from a new convert to a seasoned saint overnight. And we can't expect it out of them. We've got to expect, you know, there's been different ones of us that have said that we failed the Lord several times. You know what? Babies fall when they try to learn to walk. I've never seen a baby just, that, that just went the first time and, and just had it all figured out. I mean, it, it takes them a little while. They keep falling down over and over and skinning their knees. And, and they keep, you know what they do? They look up at mom, they look at dad, and you know what we do if we're good parents? We say yay and we clap our hands and they get up and they try it again. Did we, were we clapping our hands because of the fall? No, we were, we were clapping our hands because of the attempt. And folks, the same thing for us when we've got a newborn baby spiritually in our midst. If they fall down, clap and say, yay, you tried. Get up and do it again. Let's not be down in the mouth. Oh, they failed. I don't know if they're going to make it or not. I don't think they can. I was so in and out, up and down as a young person. I didn't have any support at home. I, didn't, I was such a mess as a young person. And I remember I was pastoring, and it came to me through, through a person. But one of the dear saints of the church told this other friend of ours, this mutual friend, I never thought Jeremy would ever make it to the ministry. I, he, I just never thought he'd be say, make it. He, just, he was just had so many problems. Well, sure I had problems. Sure, I had problems. I didn't have any support. I was trying to figure this thing out without knowing hardly a thing. Thank God for a few people that believed in that I was going to make it, and they prayed for me, and they said, keep trying. We appreciate the attempt. You know, we'd be in a world where people couldn't walk on their own hind feet if it wasn't for the fact of moms and dads who clapped when the kids fell down. And we're going to be in the midst of a dying church if we can't learn to start clapping and cheering the attempt. Not the failure, but the attempts. We're going to have people resist. We're going to have people fight against us spiritually. We come, you know, with those of us that have been serving the Lord for a while, we've come to expect it. But a newborn convert, they're not used to that. And it's our job to fill the void by those worldly friends. We've got to fill that void and give them good Christian friends. And if they say something wrong, or if they do something wrong, we just applaud and tell them, keep trying. You're going to make it. You know, one of the things that I appreciate about this race, Paul says it's not the one who runs the swiftest. It's 
Not the one who crosses first that matters. You just got to cross the finish line. And whether you fall down a hundred times, whether you crawl across that finish line, all you've got to do is cross the finish line. Thank God for the rudders. Thank God for those that, you know, they say, I've heard some moms say that kid never learned to walk. He, as soon as he took his first steps, he was running. Thank God for those that do that spiritually. But thank God also for those that, that no matter how bloody their knees were, they kept getting back up and trying. And thank God for those, those that encouraged us along the way. We may have enemies to our, to our faith, but that's exactly how we're going to grow. Resistance brings growth. You know, as you go out the road here, as you head out to Independence, you've all seen it. There's that tree that's in the silo. See it all the time when you go that way. You know, that poor tree... If, that, if they ever tore that silo down, that tree would be lost in the very first windstorm. It's never faced the resistance of the wind. It's never, its roots are not, it didn't have to grow deep in order to survive the onslaught of the storms. And if they ever tear down that silo, that tree is doomed because it doesn't have any strength or very little. And I know that the trials that we face and the battles that we face and those that persecute us and those that mistreat us, I know it's not any fun to go through, but folks, it's what helps us to stand the storms, the worst storms that are coming. The enemies of God are one of the means that God uses to grow us spiritually. I don't know. I'm just going to say I'm going to have to put a comma in here. I didn't even get halfway through the message. But God's going to help us to grow if we'll follow His plan. And God's going to help others, new babes in Christ, to, to grow in our church if we'll help them to follow God's plan. There's some pain along the way. But God will see them through it. Just like He saw you through it. He saw me through it. And as he continues to help us, because we're continuing to grow. Let's stand together. Amen. Amen. Brother Rocky, would you just miss us in prayer?